0: Jeff, it is rivalry week, but it doesn't feel like rivalry week. I think I have muted all the possible people. I just huh. tend to, I tend to avoid rivalry Twitter as much as possible. Anyway, um, I also have not really been able to be on Twitter much the last day and a half or so because my all of my notifications are completely destroyed by a stupid tweet about Joel Osteen of mine that just approached a hundred thousand likes, which is ridiculous. And I did not expect that to happen at all, <laughs>
1: That's but an insane in, amount this, of likes.
0: in this rivalry week, the first thing you have that you want to share with the people is I had delicious brisket today and you'll never guess where it came from. You will never guess. I want you to guess
1: three guesses. Arby's. Nope. Uh, I've I had know. their brisket. It isn't great. That's one. I did just you, want to see. I you, want to see if you even come close.
0: Did you know that Arby's has the record for the world's longest commercial
1: I did not. They actually
0: actually broadcast it somewhere on like a local station near their thing. And the commercial is on YouTube that they made a commercial that was just prepping a brisket, putting it in the smoker. And the smoker had like a glass pane so you could kind of see through it. And they just pointed a camera at the smoker for 16 hours while the brisket was cooking. And that was the whole (laughs) commercial. (laughs)
1: That's kind of cool. No, not Arby's brisket. If
0: you say Applebee's and you actually gave Applebee's money after that stupid commercial that's been playing for the last two weeks during football games, I will slap you and that will be the end of the show.
1: That would be fair. Not Applebee's. You got one guess remaining. I don't even know who else
0: has brisket besides. I know. I'm telling you, you'll never guess. I think Firehouse Subs has a brisket sandwich. Was a Firehouse? They do.
1: I've had that. It is good. It was not. Uh, Cafe Rio. Really. They are something sell- now, it's not barbecue brisket, right? Like it is not like you're gonna go and get sliced brisket with a smoke ring. No. It's like Mexican brisket that it's been like cooking in a pot with a bunch of flavors and some broth or whatever. So it's like it's all the like fatty goodness of brisket, but it has like bajita flair to it but it's like super moist. Not like you cooked a brisket well and it's a little bit, you know, juicy, but like pot roasty kind right. of. Because they braised it.
0: So it's, right. it's hard right. to dry something out that's braised.
1: Right. Dude, it was. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a huge... I, I enjoy Cafe Rio. I don't die over Cafe Rio. But this brisket, I just got it. My wife is a big Cafe Rio fan. So she gets a burrito... We stopped at a burrito. I saw the brisket while I was standing in line and I thought I got to try it. So I just put a, an order in for a brisket quesadilla from Cafe Rio. And I want a brisket everything from Cafe Rio. Dude, it was unbelievable brisket. Now, if you go in expecting, you know, uh, what is it? I can't even think. Bam Bams. If you go in expecting Bam Bams type brisket, you're going to be disappointed. It's not that. But if you go in expecting good brisket flavor, with a braised cooking style and a little bit of a mexican seasoning flair you're gonna come away impressed it is without a doubt hands down not even close you know by a country mile the best thing on their menu wow that's a bold statement yeah it's not
0: even close the i don't have well i the closest cafe rear to me is
1: like three hours away so well yeah i mean you're in utah regularly that's so true. when you come back up, you can swig by a Cafe Rio. But listeners, please, um, put my claim to the test. This is not an ad. I wish it was. I feel like Cafe Rio would be able to give us more money than some of our made-up ads that we give to ourselves. But no, not an ad. This is just unbelievable Mexican-style brisket, which I don't even know if that's a thing, if I'm being completely honest with you. But it was delicious. The- I'm I'm excited.
0: Next time I do, next time I go to a Cafe Rio, I will get that. And we also, you have another article for us here. Uh, and you said this feels like it's becoming our thing. But we have another serial pooper incident, and I think this is fitting, uh, given who our opponent is this week and the yeah. propensity of their fans to poop in their stadium. And it's you said, tribal, it, really. it, and the headline is Winnipeg serial pooper gets caught with his pants down. And so again, this is another in if i mean winnipeg is like the magna of canada so it's just like yeah. i i mean maybe all of manitoba might be the magna of canada it's just that's picture someone from magna and that's who this is and apparently there is someone going around doing his business all over winnipeg and it might honestly be improving the city for all we know
1: <laughs> <laughs> what what i'm what i'm really kind of surprised about is that the the serial pooper in winnipeg and all of the manitoba area is only 31 years old and for some reason when i think of a serial pooper i think of somebody who's seen some stuff you know and, and 31 years is a long time and maybe he just you know has been through a lot but it just feels like that's something that's like the your first wife left you your second wife is on the verge of leaving you and you're 48 years old like that feels like a 48 year old thing the fact that this pooper whatever has happened in his life has led him to serial pooping this quickly is really shocking to me um there's a picture i mean that's how they caught him uh how they caught him with his pants down there is a picture that a security camera caught of this man he doesn't look 31 i mean it's a blurry picture but he doesn't look 31 He's got a little bit of a mustache. He kind of looks like Mario. The the receding hairline, it's it's receding. And sure enough, there he is. Buck ass naked pooping on the sidewalk of Winnipeg. So there yeah. you go. I I enjoy these stories. I really do. I and I don't know why. I it makes me laugh a little bit. Uh, but just what a wild world. You know, that there are serial poopers running rampant in the streets and not like You know, like homelessness is sad, but they don't they don't make these serial poopers like this guy. They don't say anything about being homeless. The one that we talked about in the UK, like it sounded like she just preferred to poop on the street than in her house. Like it sounded like it sounds like these are people who are seemingly put together. They just poop on the road. And I don't really know how to relate to that, but I enjoy learning about it from the outside.
0: I don't enjoy learning about it. So I've respectfully request that this is the last time cereal <laughs> pooping ends up on our agenda.
1: <laughs> hey man, if they if they find their way into my Reddit feed, I have to share them. It is officially fair enough. part of my brand and I, I have to do it.
0: That's fair enough. If it ends up on the front page, you gotta do it. Um so we,
1: we have a ton to talk about we but do before have a, we do.
0: Yes, we, we do have a lot to talk about,
1: We gotta talk about the newsletter first. Yeah.
0: So come check out the newsletter. Uh last week we Officially cut over um, to just going or starting last Friday. I guess we cut over to having um, you know, some stuff just be paid. I think our our first uh our first VIP newsletter that we sent out Friday morning, I believe was the first official, like any BYU related publication, informing our subscribers exactly what was happening with the Big 12 timeline and what we could expect. And We were the first on that. Right. And we didn't, we didn't go and blast and say, Hey, like, you know, sources have told us this and blast it on Twitter and give that information out to the world. Right. Like it's, we're, we're trying to give it to you before you get to everyone else, because you put your hard earned money, you know, into supporting us. And so Mm -hmm. the little bits and pieces that we hear, we want to give to you. And so we were, I mean, that was, we, we were the first on that. And, uh, and so that was, you know, something awesome. And it kind of, it felt like we ended up double sending because we sent our newsletter and then like 20 minutes later, but you had scheduled it. And then like 20 minutes later, it was like, ah, uh, yeah, let's do this and make this the first VIP thing. And so.
1: Yeah. And and it was good. Everybody else. I mean, it, I, it was a great newsletter. You added some context to the big 12 rumblings of the day that they weren't anywhere else. I mean, at By Friday morning, I think a lot of people like we all kind of knew what was going on with the Big 12. But the context that you gave about some of the stuff, you're not going to find anywhere else. And I still haven't seen it anywhere else. Um, Today, we had another VIP newsletter, and it was an angle that I have not seen in any other publication, blog, newspaper, whatever. And it was quotes directly from uh, from recruits themselves talking about BYU getting into the Big 12. And the reactions were different than I think what most of us would expect. Um, that's what we strive to do every single day at give them hell, Brigham. Like we want to give you the BYU content to scratch that BYU itch, but we know what you're going to find on KSL. We know what you're going to find in the desert news and on sports illustrated and everywhere else. Why do we know that? Because I produce a lot of that stuff for CSI for 24 seven. I know that game. I know how to generate clicks. Uh, We're killing it on uh, this week on CSI. And I kind of tweeted about it a little bit earlier today, but we have something like 150,000 page views this in the last three days. I mean, we're killing it because I do know how to generate clicks and how to get that, that web traffic, that SEO traffic. Like that's part of what journalism has become for better or worse. We don't want to give you all of that clickbait dribble. And now clickbait dribble is good. Like I say, I produce a lot of it. There's some real great content there and some really great value there. But what we strive to give you, especially in our VIP newsletters, is stuff that is not meant for clickbait. It's stuff that we aren't gonna share anywhere but the Give em, Hell Brick platform. So subscribe, seven bucks a month or 70 bucks for a year, Check it out. If you, if you don't want to trust us for a full year yet, that's fine. We get it. Try it. $7. It's the price of a combo meal. I had a crispy chicken sandwich from McDonald's. Have you had this yet that they are getting into the Chick-fil-A game? Uh, I tried it, and it was not good at the one It I, was like, okay. I had one. I have actually had two. And the first one I had, I came away really, really impressed. The second one I had was very, very meh. So I don't know. I gotta I feel like you have to have another. I have to have three data points before I can really determine what's a trend and what's not. Uh, but up and down. But anyway, that's how much it's gonna cost you. Sacrifice yourself one crispy chicken combo meal this month. Subscribe to Give'em Hell Brigham. You already listened to the show. You know who we are. You know that we're reputable. You know the kind of content that we like to provide on the podcast. We just get more detailed. We have It's a different forum to express ourselves. Uh, it's a different avenue that we don't have to be quite as entertaining or engaging or whatever. We could just get into more nuts and bolts of whatever the story is. Check it out. There has never been a better time. Here we are in the thick of conference expansion and rivalry week and the season and all of that good stuff. It's a great time to try us out at Give em Hell Brigham. And this is our shameless plug. Please subscribe. We are asking you. Uh, Mark Rober is a BYU legend. He's got his uh, YouTube channel that is wildly successful. And at the end of every video he does, even after it gets you know 50 million views in like three days, he says, please consider subscribing. And that's what we're asking you. We're just asking you to please consider subscribing. Because I think if you do, you won't be disappointed. Amen. we got a lot of crap to talk about, though. We do have a lot of crap to talk about.
0: And uh, the biggest thing, obviously, is Big 12. And honestly, Big 12 is bigger than rivalry week. Which is so weird, isn't it? Yes, but it it is. is.
1: And do you feel a little bit hypocritical to say that, though? I, no. Because, well, let me ask you this. Does it fall in the same vein... I get that it doesn't. And I know what the immediate reaction is going to be. But think about it beyond just your surface level gut reaction. Us saying that getting into the Big 12 and that storyline is more important than the rivalry. Is it really that different than a Utah fan saying they don't care about the rivalry game because it's the Pac-12 that is important? Uh, I'm
0: not... I think it is different because I think in terms of the long-term context of the rivalry, right? Like if you look at, and you wrote about this in the newsletter last week, right? There was like TCU and Louisville and Utah after getting into the P5 conferences from where they were before, they all saw an immediate jump in recruiting. Right, and mm-hmm. they capitalize it, and it helped their program. And that's part of the reason that we've lost nine straight is just flat out Utah is a more talented program and has better players in their locker room. Just point mm-hmm. blank, there's more talent in that building. And there's a lot of those players, or a decent number of those players, are guys that you know maybe like the right, like guys like Cole Fotheringham, Cole Fotheringham, the hams group, BYU family. He he went on a mission. They're an active LDS family. They. You know, got recruited by Utah, got recruited by BYU, but Cole really wanted to play at a P5 program and felt that playing at Utah, he could do all the church stuff that he wanted to, because there's an Institute, there's an LDS head coach, all of those things, but Utah gave him a better avenue to get to where he wanted to go to play, have a chance to play, you know, to possibly, you know, somehow make a run at a college football playoff or play in a Rose bowl, whatever that BYU couldn't offer. And so to some extent, like there are guys like that where now the playing field going forward is more level. And so the rival, like a streak like this will not happen again. Once this GD curse is broken. (laughs) <laughs> and, I really hope it's broken on Saturday. And so it's, man. that is why I say it's more important. It's not just like, it's not poo-pooing the rivalry. It's okay. saying that similarly to how a a pivotal turning point in the rivalry was, you know, the last, like, you know, you look at 2005 and Kyle Whittingham turning down BYU to stay at Utah. That was a pivotal turning point in the rivalry, in the, in the attitude, Huge. in the rivalry, Utah getting invited to the Pac-12 and having financial on the field, off the field, like every measurable advantage over BYU because they were in the Pac-12 and we were fighting to do it ourselves and really hanging there with them, right? Like it's what they've won nine straight, but seven out of the nine have been one score games. It's not like it's been a complete blowout every time. And so it's getting, you know, looking at all of that, it's like, okay, now if it's that close with a huge disadvantage, now with a level playing field, what is it going to be? And so that's why I think the right it is a bigger deal this week.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I mean, you 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 talked about a few guys, and yeah, I mean Jaron Kump, Andrew Gentry, Tanner McKee, Samonte Peppa, Simi Moala, all of those are guys who, if it is an even playing field, probably choose BYU. I don't want to say they will for sure, but I think they are the guys who probably choose BYU. Cole Fotheringham probably chooses BYU. Now, BYU still has to recruit well. They still have to, you know, do their job. These kids aren't just gonna be lining up the door to come to Provo. There's other options. But what, and this is what I talked about in the newsletter what being a part of this P5 bubble really does is it takes away a weapon from somebody else. Here's right. the thing, right? You talk and talk about the Pac 12 when they're recruiting somebody who is deciding between BYU and Utah, they could go in and they could sit down and they could say, Hey, BYU is great. You know, we love BYU. We have this power five label. We have access to the playoff. We have access to this and that. We can give you that. They cannot. That argument doesn't hold any weight whatsoever. When Utah is recruiting against Arizona state for a kid or against UCLA for a kid, because it's an even playing field and you see some of those kids go to UCLA. Sometimes they pick Utah. Sometimes it's ASU. Like they, they go all across the board. Even more than BYU's ability to come in and say, hey, we're P5, I think that the biggest advantage here and why I agree with you that it is bigger than the rivalry right now is because it takes away a recruiting pitch from somebody else. Right now, Bronco can show up in anybody's house, and he can say, I was at BYU And independence was hard. Independence was very, very hard on our players, on our coaches. It's a lot of travel. I left because I wanted better access, better competition and more consistency. And now I go to Virginia and he can say that kind of an argument to a guy like Andrew Gentry and that sways him. And that can pull him out of BYU, even though his brother is on the team and into that Bronco, Virginia realm. It isn't about Virginia, and it isn't even really anything about BYU. It's about what Virginia had that BYU simply did not. Now, in that recruiting battle, let's just say that Andrew Gentry is part of the 2024 class, and he's being recruited by Virginia and BYU. That entire conversation about what Bronco did and what BYU has and you, Virginia, or what BYU does not have, and Virginia, ha- all of that goes away. That can no longer be said. Now, BYU can't just go in and start pounding their chest about, hey, Andrew, we'll get you into a P5 conference because so will Virginia. That's a waste of time. Right. But now, Virginia can't say that BYU can't. Utah can't say that BYU can't. BYU can make their pitch. And it, it may not even change drastically from what it is today. But other people can't poke holes in that BYU recruiting pitch anymore because they're playing on the same field. And that has not been the case. And that has been the biggest thing I think that matters. I think that's the, the and that's what I talked about. As I talked with a bunch of recruits, and I talked to a bunch of them, some of them very highly recruited. They, the 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 quotes that were in today's newsletter the takeaway immediately was it sounds like these guys are all BYU guys they'd come to BYU no matter what uh i can't remember exactly how many i think there were 7 or 8 different recruits that were anonymously quoted in this article today or this newsletter today if i had to guess if they all had to sign tomorrow i don't think BYU gets more than 2 of the 8 that i interviewed these are not just BYU guys but these are guys that are younger, and what what happens on the recruiting trail, and this is some of the stuff that, again, you're only going to get it. Give him hell, Brigham. I, I promise you, with all due respect to Dick Harmon and Jay Drew and those guys, okay, they're not giving Dick you. Harmon
0: quoted the dude of West Virginia in a legitimate news article today.
1: I, that was so that was shocking yesterday. because Dick is an absolute legend, and that was shocking. But this is the kind of context and behind the scenes, I guess, that you'll get about recruiting with give them hell brigham that you're not going to get anywhere else when BYU first reaches out to a player usually it's their sophomore year sometimes their junior year early on in the process and typically BYU is among the first schools to extend an offer to somebody that they're recruiting that's just kind of the way that BYU does it and when that happens that player does not care about P5 G5 most of the time. They don't care. Think back to when you were in high school, Garrett. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about myself. I was a senior in high school in 2007. That was a wild year of college football. That is the best was, year
0: of college football.
1: Yeah. I mean, there was a million things to talk about the BCS, all of the crazy auto qualifiers, all the rankings. It was a wild up and down here. There was a ton of things to talk about. And I was a huge college football fan. I would put myself, I would put you, I would put Give Em Hell, Brigham listeners uh, in the upper echelon of hardcore college football fans. I didn't care at all about conference stuff. I didn't really care about BCS stuff. None of that meant anything. The only thing that mattered to me as a senior in high school was what they showed me on ESPN, what I watched on SportsCenter, what highlights you know, for today's kids pop up onto a TikTok feed.
0: And even then it was in back then it was just fundamentally different, right? Like if you look at the recruiting rankings of BYU and independence versus when they're in the mountain West, right? Like it was, the path was easier, right? Like we had TCU and Boise state play each other in a BCS bowl Boise state was a missed field goal away from potentially playing in a BCS national championship game, right? Like there was, because there was, things were decided largely by computers as it should be There. A lot of that bias was away, and when the the label of P five got formalized and it split off and went to a CF it forbid CFP and said a committee is doing this, and the narrative for the last decade has been no G five will ever get in, no G five will ever get in. It has made it harder, you know. Similar to like what you said to the negative recruiting, and so it's even and it wasn't then back then, and it's still like it's even. Like it's more so now that it's like it but is I, just different as well with that.
1: I I think that the the average recruit doesn't care. And that's what I've learned because that is the narrative, and that's what happens. And, and and you're right. But what happens over the course of a recruitment is at the beginning that kid doesn't care. They really don't care. They care about they know that Clemson is good. They could not care less that Clemson is in the same conference as North Carolina State. It doesn't matter. It doesn't uh, make any difference at all. But what happens is as P5 schools start to recruit that player, they start to tell that player how much it matters. They start to tell that player that no G5 school is ever gonna get in. That if you wanna play the best of the best, you have to play with a P5, uh, with a P5 school. And so inherently in the process, like it is embedded in the process, is this built-in opportunity for these P5 schools to create the division. Because the kid doesn't care. They really don't care. And that's what the quotes are going to tell you as as I talked to a lot of 2023 kids especially. They just don't care. But as the kids start to blow up more and more, the recruiting pitch changes. These P5 schools view BYU as a threat to to, to land some of these players. And so they have to start poking holes in BYU's recruiting pitch. BYU is being in the Big 12, regardless of what happens and how good the Big 12 is or is not, that takes away their ability. Walker Lyons is a really, really good example. Uh, His dad played for BYU. He is blowing up. He's going to be a five-star guy in the class of 2023. He will be at BYU this weekend, for what it's worth. He's going to be there on an unofficial visit. Uh, That's big news, BYU fans. It's very, very big news. But Walker is, he's blowing up. And when I reached out to him, he said, yeah, you know, I kind of wish that, they BYU would stay independent because the Pac 12 or because the Big Twelve is falling apart. Okay, I get it. And maybe Walker's kind of the exception, and there are a, he's very, very tuned into his Twitter feed and all of the rumors about conference expansion. I I suppose that's possible. But one of the schools that's recruiting him the hardest is Texas. Now, what's more likely that this 17 year old kid, 16 year old kid? who's got a million high school things going on, who's more worried about, you know, making sure that his acne is clear so that he can get the girl that he likes to go on a date with him this Friday, is it more likely that that kid is super tuned in to every conference expansion rumor like you and I are? Or is it more likely that that coach of the school who just left the Big 12 is in his ear saying, hey, you don't want to go to the Big 12. We know that BYU is on, on, on you and they want you to be there, but the Big 12's falling apart. The Big 12's going to be a wreck. The Big 12 doesn't matter. Right? Like, what's more likely? I think that's more likely that it's Texas is feeding this recruit that information. And that's what happens all the time. That is the biggest issue that BYU faces. Is that negative recruiting? I I guess, but it's not like they're, you know, schools are just out there shitting on BYU and the honor code or whatever. That's not the way that it works. It's that, hey, we're P5, they're not. Here are the benefits that gives you. BYU getting into the Big 12, that goes away. And it also goes away for people in the transfer portal. And that is where I think BYU can really make hay immediately after this happens.
0: Definitely. I think if we, and that's something I mean that Mark Pope has done, right? Like he's lived in the transfer portal, just trying to sell the WCC. And you look at him now trying to sell like, hey, well, you can come play in the best conference, basketball conference in America. In Kalani's mm-hmm. stock, you can do the same thing. Like, hey, Tanner McKee, you went on a mission. You went to Stanford. You thought it was going to be great. You decided that's not really what you wanted. It's fine we don't hold any hard feelings. We did dumb stuff when we were 18. Come on home. It's fine. And it's, you can, you know, you can live in the portal for those kids, things. And it's not so much of it in even living in the portal. It's like, yes, there are kids that are just straight up bus who don't get any better. A lot of it is just fit, right? Like BYU has had transfers generally have been very good to BYU. Like, cause usually we don't take kids that are big flops. Like we're not taking the Tate Martell's who's like on his seventh school now back at UNLV buried in the depth chart. Cause he's not any good, right? We don't mess around with that. It's usually it's guys who went to a school decided it wasn't for them. They want a thing and they come to BYU because they want the things that are unique about BYU. And that keeps them focused and honed in and on like eye on the prize and they get it done, right? Like you think of the transfers that we've seen in recent years and what they've done, right? Like look at what um, guys like and off the top of my head, it's like Uona uh, Kavanga, Loni Fengupo, uh, do... Uh, uh, Tyson, you know,
1: Jordan Leslie, Tyson. Juan Tyson
0: Iwaniunga, that's who I was thinking of. Uh, Harvey Longi, right? Like, it's there's a lot of guys that come and say, like, BYU gives them the focus that they want because they want, and, like, you don't just come to BYU without being, as a transfer, without being fully bought into everything that BYU is and when you're bought into that that takes care of the off the field stuff you you stay focused you keep your head down like you get things done and then you will play to the best of your abilities um absolutely and so i mean in terms of if you've been living under a rock it's like everything applications are done the presidents are having a formal vote on friday morning uh, there's supposed to be a press conference scheduled Friday afternoon to welcome the four new members. And um, we also and then there should be something on BYU TV as well. I know they mentioned it apparently last night on after further review, they mentioned to uh, be prepared <laughs> to watch something on Friday. <laughs> um, so it, it's it is a formality at this point. And let's cut over. what do you
1: what do you think the application is like? before we cut over to this awesome interview that you had? uh what do you think the application is like because in my head like i i mean i'm assuming it's like an email that's expressing interest but is there like a formal application because they keep talking is it about like it. you have put, to submit an application is it like put three references and yeah like is this I like mean, a job application
0: that's what oregon state had bronco do and that's how gary anderson ended up at oregon state so how because how bronco strange. but the I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what the application is beyond like, these are our proposed terms under which we would like to agree to like, under which we are asking to join your conference and it's (laughs) like, we are willing to forego and you know a full revenue share you know, it's like, we were willing to do a graduated revenue share over, you know, X percent over X years. And then we are willing to do this and we request that we do this and we would like to join on this year. And then it was like, oh yeah, that's those terms sound good to me. Glad they just pulled those out of their butt and happened to perfectly align with everything that we're looking for in a candidate. It right? seems like, so weird to me. And well, and part of it too, is it's all semantic and this is kind of like new legal ground because the first, like the last round of late realignment None of this crap, like it didn't exist. Like there were no grants of rights. There were like none of that. That all wasn't a thing. But then as TV money, when people were like, "Oh, TV money is blowing up compared to what it was before," now we are all worried. Like we don't want to get hosed over or have this TV money pulled out from under us. Like we're gonna try to lock people in. Cause like when BYU and Utah left the Mountain West, like BYU announced in august in utah they announced that they were the pac 12 was like expanding in like june and they left the next year like BYU you gave less than a year 12 months notice to go to the mountain west mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and so there was no big deal and the um and but now it's like oh you know these other schools like they're gonna have to pay more money to the acc and they got to pay 10 million dollars and give 27 months notice to the american and that's the american right like that's the only the only strange. league that apparently does not have anything is the sec because who in their right mind is going to leave the sec right and the answer right. to that question it's, is tulane and georgia tech but um
1: it's very very strange to me just kind of watching it all unfold uh it, very it's, weird it's just all one big ruse to get the lawyers more
0: billable hours I'm i mean it'
1: it, it really is because a big part of it is, And it it makes me laugh a little bit, like with all due respect to Stuart Mandel and, you know, Brett McMurphy and these guys, Pete Dammel, when they start talking about like tier three rights and streaming, you know, the value of BYU streaming presence. These guys are sports journalists. They don't know any of that stuff. Like we're making all of this up as, as we go. You talk about new legal ground. Well, put the streaming rights of football games from a conference. That doesn't exist like that. We're making it up as we go and that's why it's so easy for these schools to get in and out of these contracts i think they all sound pretty scary but i mean when push comes to shove texas still does what texas wants oklahoma's still gonna do what oklahoma wants to do uh but anyway interesting i i do i think the application process i've kind of just laughed at the bureaucracy of it all that okay we're gonna we all know what's gonna happen there's gonna be four schools added to the big 12 but we're gonna have them fit or submit formal applications we're gonna have a vote and the vote is mostly procedural like it really doesn't matter we already know what the outcomes going to be but we're gonna hold this vote and then we'll formally announce it like just unnecessary bureaucracy for no reason really at all other than i don't know no reason i really can't think of even a sarcastic reason of why any of this stuff exists
0: Yeah. And it's, it really is stupid, but let's cut over. I, yesterday I hopped on and I talked with John Kurtz. Um, you may have seen his YouTube videos floating around. He has, uh, he's has a show based kind of similar to Ben Kirtle's show. He's got the daily K state talk show, um, in Manhattan. And he does also do some play-by-play stuff for Kansas state sports. And so we're going to cut over to that. And we just kind of, you know, we're not talking about any, Insider reports or anything, because at this point that we recorded this yesterday morning, basically since last Friday, everyone's known exactly what's going on. So let's cut over to that interview. Okay, we are joined now by John Kurtz, and John is a sports commentator. You said you do some play-by-play. Basically, you cover K-State athletics in in Manhattan, right? So I guess, kind of, tell us a little more about yourself. Uh, what? i'm sure people will get familiar with you over the years because if we if every all goes according to plan and what it seems to be a track on i'm sure uh we will be hearing your name often in different appearances across the utah media markets and different radio shows and podcasts etc so kind of introduce yourself and tell us more about where how you ended up a k-state fan how you got to where you are today
2: yeah well i appreciate it a lot thanks for having me on garrett um So I have, I've been working um, in and around K-State for for 10 years now. Um, I'm a K-State grad, but started working in town at a radio station. So I'm I'm the sports director at KMAN, which is a radio station. I do a two-hour daily radio show. Uh, But then I also do K-State football and basketball pregame radio. Uh, I do some play-by-play for some of the non-revenue sports um, at K-State with K-State TV, kind of their third-tier TV rights outlet there. Um, And then, yeah, YouTube channel where I've kind of moved to Big 12 focused content, Big 12 centric, which obviously is where I've really always been, and I've I've traveled for 10 years with the team everywhere across the league, so pretty familiar with the league, um, obviously, and grew up with it. So, uh, yeah, a lot of ways you can find me: the YouTube channel, the daily radio show, uh, on Twitter, etc. All
0: right. So, where did you did you grow up in Kansas? Is that how you ended up at K State?
2: Yeah, so I grew up in uh, the Kansas City area, a suburb of Kansas City, um, but I grew up coming to K State games every. Every week, man. I, and I I was born the year that Bill Snyder got to K-State. So I was very, uh, very fortunate with that. Um, grew up with some of the best K-State football teams. And funny story, one of the regrets that I have as a kid, one of the big laments, I always hear my parents tell me about how much I fought them on this. I did not get to go to the 1996-7 Cotton Bowl uh, between K-State and BYU. And I was very upset because my parents went. And uh, they did not take me, so I, I did not get to see a pretty good battle between Steve Sarkeesian and, uh, and K-State back in the day.
0: That was unfortunate. That's one of my earliest memories as a kid is watching that game on TV as well. So I think we're not too far apart in age. Um, no, I mean, I think there's a, there's a lot of, you know, I, th- I think you'll be surprised if this all happens of how many BYU fans are there. Because there's a lot of, it's not necessarily that we travel well, it's just that we're everywhere and so it's we yeah. you know showing showing up in numbers like it's my brother went to med school in Kansas City my sister lives just outside of Kansas City right now um and so there's there's a lot of people in that area um so i know kind of as we talked about our rough agenda here i didn't i'm not asking for any like insider scoops i think everyone knows exactly what's happening right the the stupid semantics of having to officially apply even though the conference has already definitely talked to them and you wouldn't apply unless you knew the votes were there all of that right is is happening i think the latest report was that this morning is tuesday morning the university of houston board of regents approved their chancellor basically gave them carte blanche to say to negotiate and execute i think is the word that they used right so it's like if you're saying yeah just go do whatever you want to in terms of conference affiliation you know exactly what's happening and the university president vote is supposed to happen on friday so i guess can you as you have kind of more of a pulse on in do cover big 12 centric as a whole, and not just hyper-focused on one team kind of what is the vibe around the league right now compared to maybe in July when the news first broke of Oklahoma and Texas leaving to, you know, the block of four schools, hoping that they somehow got to went to the PAC 12 versus, you know, in Iowa state and Kansas, hoping to try to get into the big 10, you know, kind of, we went from six teams are going to leave and it's going to be Baylor and, you know, maybe Baylor, like Texas, like a couple of schools are going to be stuck here with nothing versus, you know, now it seems kind of seems like everyone is on board and it's kind of looked around the room and said, Hey, maybe there's a better institutional fit between just the eight of us and not having to listen to them. And we can, you know, if we have these four schools and, you know, put a good product on the field, maybe we can pass up the ACC or the PAC 12, even though we don't necessarily have a blue blood in our league.
2: Yeah. I think the, the, the tone has changed quite a bit since everything initially happened from at that point, everybody really scrambling and being very concerned with the individual options, which you can understand, you know, everybody wants to have options at that point. I think now there's quite a bit of unity in particular from six of the schools. I think the two and this comes from not just the fan bases, but what what I've been hearing just I think behind the scenes that the administrations of The schools at Kansas and Oklahoma State both feel like there may be other options out there still down the line. So I think that to me was always one of the challenges. They had this AD meeting last week. That was always going to be one of the challenges was getting everybody on board to move forward with expansion because they needed eight of 10 votes. No idea what Texas and Oklahoma would do on that front. And supposedly they did retain their voting rights. So could you get everybody oh, on board? Oh, they did retain it because
0: I, I, I've I, heard mixed things on that of like once they said they were leaving, then they would lose them until they left unless they reversed their course or whatever.
2: Yeah, well, I, I, I very much heard mixed results on that, too. I mean, Max Wilson from the Athletic First reported they did. I had someone tell me immediately after they didn't. Uh, I tried doing some digging, had someone else say they did. So I, I guess I don't know. But to, to be certain, to be sure you wanted to, to have all eight on board and it, it sounds right. like they were able to get that. I still do think that, look, I get, I mean, I'm close to the Kansas fan base. Obviously um, the Kansas fan base is very much convinced that they will be in the big 10 or the ACC at some point. Uh, I think that's very, very far-fetched uh, the big, we've already seen there was a report out there. The big 10 did consider expansion. They obviously didn't extend an invite to Kansas. I don't know what, exactly they think is going to change that would make their basketball program valuable enough for that. I think basically what you have is you have a lot of earned arrogance with that fan base because of what the basketball program has done. And I think it's just something that's hard to compute for a lot of those fans to realize like, okay, basketball is only about 20% of what's actually happening here on the realignment front. Um, so, you know, there's still that Oklahoma State has a a brand new president, a brand new AD, and I think they're being hyper aggressive and trying to go out and market themselves. And there's a thought that Maybe down the line, the SEC decides that they want to sniff around and do something else, and that could be an option there or potentially a Pac-12. And look, Oklahoma State probably is as well-positioned as almost anybody um, if one of those leagues does decide that they want to expand. So, like, again, I can understand that. But I think among the other schools, the other six, there's been kind of a resignation to, okay, this probably is going to be the best option that we all have, um, certainly for right now. And I'm definitely seeing more camaraderie on the front of, you know, galvanizing really against what the national media narrative has been about what this league would be like even adding the four teams which was you know kind of laughing off that they could even compete with the Pac-12 or i mean heck the ACC especially if you look at what the ACC is minus Clemson right now and right. even Clemson I mean, obviously e- great, even with won.
0: even with Clemson there was uh what in 2019 in like Massey composite the American finished higher yeah. average rank even that was including Clemson and Yukon in the American like the two extremes yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I-
2: yeah, you go, you go to like SP plus, you know, SP plus is the same over the last three years, the big 12 has finished higher than the, if you take the average rank of where a team is at the league as, as a whole has finished higher than both of those leagues, the PAC 12 and the ACC. So I think that's really helped galvanize is like this idea that, Hey, like that, that could actually be a really fun football conference with the four teams that are coming in it can be a very competitive football conference and is absolutely one that can be as viable in terms of, competitive product on the field now is it going to be as viable financially probably not Um, but even then it sounds like the tide may be turning a bit on that front too so uh, i think right now there seems to be some real momentum and and some more unity among at least a a good chunk of the league right now
0: yeah and i think it's definitely like in oklahoma state probably has the biggest national brand of the schools that are left even though they've always you know been oaky light compared to norman right like it's still you know, they may look around and say like, well, we could be at the bottom of the ladder and be on an Island. And basically if we join the PAC 12, we have to deal with all the same problems. West Virginia's we have to deal with West Virginia now, but even worse. And do we really fit in with all of those schools? And maybe if we just stay here, like there is no blue bud, We could become that, right? Like it's, you know, there's a path for us instead of winning one conference title in like a hundred years or however many they have, you know, they're like, well, we could win four out of 10 and be better off than we ever were before. Um, so that's yeah. You know, so it seems like there's nobody in the league and it either way, whether Oklahoma or Texas have voting rights or not, it seems like there is a consensus of eight. Like it's not, no one is it. There's no, none of the eight universities are coming kicking and screaming and don't want to do this or protesting it. It's everyone seems to be on board. Like this is our best path forward. Let's do it.
2: I think so because I think even, even if you are Kansas or Oklahoma state and I've even seen this some from, from the Kansas side of things, um, your position is going to be better by doing this in the short term. Even if you think your long-term play two, three, four years from now or whatever is going to be somewhere else because at least right now, you're you're improving what your fallback option would be, even if that's what you believe it to be. Right. Um, and, and also, you know, I mean, I still think, you know, like Jamie Pollard, who's Iowa State's athletic director, he had some pretty interesting comments within the last 24 hours where he was saying that uh, Pete Thamel was somebody that had a pretty good idea of what was going on, and he was really preaching, hey, go to 16, expand and add even more. So I, you know, I think the other part of it, too, is if you get the four – you're at 12, even then if somebody did leave, eventually you could have other options if you're moving towards 16 um, to, to expand the conference even more. I think there are a lot of different ways it could go. And I think even for those schools that feel like they have options, like what what is the downside to, to doing this right now? I guess the, you know, the part of that that was interesting to me is okay, then on the other side, if you're talking BYU, Houston, Cincinnati, um, UCF coming into the league, how convinced are they that everything is going to remain stable and everybody will stick around? But apparently they've been convinced enough of that, And that's all happened very quickly here, which is which is impressed and surprised me that, that all this has moved as as fast as it has.
0: Yeah, I think that's definitely because even right like before or even after BYU had announced the intention to go independent, they did get an invite to the Big East, but could see the writing on the wall chose to stay out and you know, and it's, and it has proved good, obviously, there are some mixed opinions from fans on it, but uh, if we hadn't gone eight and five for most of the decade, seven and six, eight and five for most of the decade, then the opinions on it would be much better. Um, winning s- seems to fix everything, but yeah, I think moving to 16 would be interesting, and I don't know necessarily that there needs to be such a rush in terms of you know, like you said, it's maybe there's the fin- there's the financial viability at the onset, but then you know you go through one contract and get reevaluated, and then maybe you know maybe you know the brands build up, you get more of a national following, you have, you know, some things rise to the top people, you know, it seems like attendance and viewership numbers in the West are kind of dropping already. You look at relative to the PAC 12, like, you know, where that fits in the valuation and all of that, um, things could definitely change going forward. Now with going 16, do you, have you heard anything on a timeline or is that just like you hypothesizing basically saying like, you know, Thamel said like, Hey, this, if I was in charge, this is what I would do. And kind of connecting the dots with the ISU athletic director is like, maybe it's an option on the table. Um, Cause I kind of, my read on is like Memphis and Boise state aren't going anywhere, right? Like if those were your next two, they're still going to be there. Like the SEC or the ACC is not going to call up Memphis and say, or the big 10 and say, Hey, come on down. Right. So it's kind of the big 12 kind of seems like in the driver is very much short up, but then also in the driver's seat for any other alignment that they or expansion that they wanted to do.
2: Correct. Yeah, I think you've got a pretty accurate read on it right there. Like, I think it's an option on the table. I think it is something that's enticing um, at some point. You know, I think the, the aspect of it that would be best and the part that I like best about Thamel's whole pitch on it was just totally kneecapping the next two conferences behind you to ensure that if, you know, if and when the playoff does expand you'll be one of the six best conference champions every single year. I mean, you're, you're essentially guaranteeing yourself a spot in the playoffs. So I think there are some advantages to that, but you're exactly right. No, nobody there. You do not need to rush to go grab anybody. It's kind of like the same concept with thinking about the big 10 in Kansas, I guess. Right. You know, if the big 10 wants to get Kansas, like they're going to be there. I mean, they're not, they're not going anywhere, so they don't need to act super fast on it right now. if, If that were going to happen, I guess, in Kansas fans defense, um, but yeah, I, I think it's just something to consider. And and something else to consider might be if if you are waiting around for the next TV contract, like I think a something they could do is sign a shorter TV deal here this first time around when it comes up in 2025, and then see how the streaming landscape has changed. See if yes, you've built up enough of a brand that you feel like expanding would help you out more, and then that can can boost you. But also maybe by then, you know, and we were talking about the Pac 12 having all these problems. Maybe by then something has gone on with the Pac-12. Maybe by then the Big Ten has poached USC. And there are some Pac-12 schools that want to splinter off and and come into the Big 12. I mean, I I think those are the kind of things you could keep in the back of your mind long term. So, yeah, I don't expect it to go to 16 or anything short term. I would guess that it goes to 12, kind of stabilize, uh, figure out where you're at. Texas and Oklahoma leave. You you get all of that taken care of and then sort of reevaluate the landscape.
0: Right. Um, I I definitely think that there is a timeline where I could see like Utah, Colorado, Arizona and Arizona State say we'd rather be the western edge of a midwest league right then you know the other thing especially because if, if you take usc and oregon out of the pac-12 and they say oh we think our bands are big enough we're tired of bankrolling wazoo oregon state you know and cal then there's not much left to be desired there in the right. in terms of the rest of the league um so what else i guess i mean i know we said this is gonna just be a short quick interview um kind of what else uh, do you have or kind of your any other thoughts that you have or kind of what you're most excited about going forward with this with this plan um you know it kind of seems is i guess maybe is this the four teams that you would think of cuz i think as i've the last couple of weeks over thought like you know, it's BYU since UCF and then there's kind of a sizable drop in where you could make arguments for memphis you can make arguments for houston you could look at some other schools you know and you know do you want to take Boise even though they don't have anything else besides the football program like there's that seemed like there was those three and then well we need a fourth and Tillman Fertitta had the most money so Houston became the fourth but it's you know it was, what I guess what are your thoughts in terms of are you excited about where this puts the league and kind of about the future of kind of getting that mix of rural and metro areas um, in terms of teams or kind of what are your just overall thoughts about it
2: yeah so I 100% the whole time throughout this process was like, look, if we're talking about from a competitive standpoint, from a football standpoint, what I think should be most important, the the top two expansion targets to me were always pretty obviously UCF and BYU. Um, And so I'm I'm thrilled to see that, that those two are a part of this plan. Cincinnati, my only hesitation with Cincinnati was at first, I was like, well, okay, what happens if Luke Fickle, if and when Luke Fickle leaves and gets a better job? Because I think that's just a matter of time. But you start looking back through their history. I mean, they, they've just hired great coach after great coach. Now, not all of them have gone on to do great things when they've been hired. Like Butch Jones obviously didn't. But, you know, he did great things at Cincinnati, moved on. They had Tommy Tuberville for a little bit there. They had Brian Kelly. Um, I mean, they've, they've just done a really good job over the last 20 years of being pretty competitive, pretty consistently with good coaches. And obviously, they're in, they're in a big market, too. So um, eventually got on board with Cincinnati. And then, yeah, that fourth, I, Houston, I, I've never been – terribly crazy about, but I certainly understand the case, you know I mean I think it's being able to get into Houston um, for recruiting purposes even though they now have two options, the top prospects to go to the SEC in state still, I think it definitely helps uh, to get in there. I you know I'm a little concerned with what's happening with the program right now. It doesn't seem like Dana Holgerson is uh, I, I don't know we'll see how long he is for Houston right now, but he's seven and 14 and two plus years there. So I, I could have made you an argument for Memphis. I could have made you an argument for Boise, especially since we've learned that the, the top priorities seem to be just creating the best football conference. And if that's really what you want, you know, I mean, Boise definitely gives you a better better brand value right now than, than Houston does. Um, but I'm not going to kick and scream too much. I just always figured there would be more resistance on the Houston front just from the other Texas schools in the league um, that don't want to prop up another school from the state of Texas. And, yeah, there were definitely some hurt feelings from 2016 and some of the comments that came out of Houston after everything happened there. So it felt like there was too much resistance, but it seems like the the big 12 decided pretty quickly, Hey, we need to just move on this and, and act fast. But in in the big picture and the abstract, like, I think based on where I was God, it was like late July that that happened with Texas and Oklahoma. Um, This has all turned out to be much better than I expected the position of this league to be in. And I'm genuinely excited about it. I mean, there's no denying that BYU is a, is a national brand. Uh, There's no denying that they bring a a football program that I think can be very successful in this league. Same with UCF. I mean, they've shaken things up the last five to 10 years. They're in a huge um, metro area. They have a massive enrollment. Like there's there are a lot of things in place there at UCF for them to really come along. And and I think the other thing that really helps me out is seeing what what TCU has been since coming into the league. And TCU is a place with um, TCU, I believe, is the smallest enrollment in the league. They are smaller than Baylor. Um, So a school that's very tiny in a large metro area that's been able to come in recruit very well and consistently have a pretty competitive program that TCU is like up and down they're either 10 wins or five but in general they've been a pretty good program in the big 12 and, and have been able to kind of grow so I can see how how this league would grow and man you just start putting together all the numbers you mentioned Massey and like SP Plus and all that stuff you start looking at that over the last five to 10 years no reason that this conference can't be as competitive certainly as, as what the PAC 12 is. So uh, I think it'll be fun. I think especially if they try and embrace and and cater toward more of a gambling audience, playing some weeknight games, some of that stuff, even though for the purists in me, that that may be a little bit uh, tough to handle at first. Like I think the potential is there to develop a really cool brand for this league. And uh, mainly I'm just happy that, I mean, I've been around this league for a long time now and grew up with it. And it's just, they're, they're great fan bases with, Great facilities, places that really care, like just have very good programs. And it's it's infuriating to see it just get written off as flyover country. And I think this gives it a legitimate chance to to still be something and be a player, um, at least at a level somewhat close to what it was before with Texas and Oklahoma. So I'm, I'm very excited for where this appears to be headed. Uh,
0: and I think looking as I've kind of looked at travel, right, between – other places, it seems like it's, we think of oh, all these are just in the middle of nowhere, but it's almost like they're all in college towns on the edge of major metros, right? Like people think, oh, like Morgantown is nowhere in West Virginia. It's like, it's an hour south of the Pittsburgh airport, right? And, you know, say so like Kansas is only like what 50 60 miles from Kansas City or uh, yeah, KU is you know Lawrence and Manhattan I'm not sure what the closest airport is in Manhattan but you know still water's well, so, half, yeah, halfway to between...
2: we we very proudly do have an airport with daily flights to uh Chicago and Dallas and Manhattan and also it's it's about a hour and a half two hour drive from Kansas City so
0: yeah so also not that's not you know terrible getting there it's not like you are you know hours and hours in the middle of Nevada where there's nothing around. Um, and so it does kind of seem like the, the vibe around it. And I think, you know, having the conference basketball tournament in Kansas City, uh, I know most of our listeners probably haven't spent time in Kansas City. Like I love Kansas City. It's a great city. There's a lot, great, a lot of food options. It's a very underrated city for, you know, the size that it is. And um, and so that's it's great. Um, my last question, why does it seem like, West Virginia fans have the market cornered on Twitter for realignment rumors. Why does it? it's always a West Virginia <laughs> fan. Why?
2: That, that is interesting. Uh, I, I hadn't totally thought of it like that, but you're right. Like last time around, it was definitely it was the dude of West Virginia, um, who is, is still out there. I think his, his Twitter account is, is private nowadays, but, um, and I actually do like, I'm not, I have nothing bad to say about him. Um, he, he, chats with me from time to time and, and um, I definitely do think has some legitimate information. Um, and then, yeah, now we've got golden blue dude out there on, on YouTube as well. That's, oh, that's I, haven't seen,
0: I haven't seen that guy. <laughs> okay.
2: Well, you need to, you need to check that out. Golden blue dude. He's, he's out there on YouTube uh, doing his thing too. So yeah, I don't know the, the inter, you know, West Virginia, I almost brought up to when you were talking about fan base, like when I mentioned KU and Oklahoma state being a little bit different I think West Virginia has been a little bit different too, because of the ACC and because they just don't have like some of the equity built up of being a member of the conference for as long. Um, but it, it feels like West Virginia fans have started to get pretty pessimistic on that and realize the the reality of the ACC and um, the likelihood that that probably isn't going to happen. So I, I don't know, maybe that contributes to it too. Um, that at first West Virginia was very um, hell bent on the ACC thing and and as it has evolved, it, it does seem increasingly less likely that, that that's going to happen.
0: Yeah. And I don't know if you were the president of the University of West Virginia uh, is a former BYU professor as well. So okay. he, he, he went to the University of Utah. He is LDS. And he was uh, I think he was the dean or like the associate dean of the BYU law school and taught at the law school for a while before he got into the academia leadership side. Um, but yeah, so they. Yeah, I've never quite understood the in the last couple months of the no, definitely this time. The ACC is finally going to say yes, even though they've yeah. never cared about West Virginia ever. Like if they wanted you, they would have taken you with Pitt to keep the brack- backyard brawl going in 2011, and it didn't happen. Um, well, so thanks again. And tell us again where you so your Twitter handle. I know you said you have your channel is just John Kurtz, your name K U R T Z. Um, same spelling as Nick Kurtz was a receiver at BYU a few years ago. Um, so and then your Twitter handle is just your first and last name.
2: Uh, Twitter handle is JL Kurtz. Um, so, yeah, JL Kurtz on Twitter, John Kurtz on YouTube. Um, got a daily radio show if you want to search that out. It's just the game KMAN. You can find it wherever you uh, you find podcasts. So a lot of ways to find the content and uh, definitely appreciate uh, the the platform that you gave me here today.
0: Awesome. Thanks again. And I'm sure we will talk more and more times in the future.
2: Absolutely. Anytime Garrett, take care. You
0: too. Okay, Jeff, what did you think about the interview and kind of what he said about that? It seems like after the PAC 12 turned their noses up at the other big 12, the remaining eight schools, they looked around the room and said, uh, maybe we actually do fit better together and we aren't maybe we're a little bit better off, even though financially we're worse, maybe we're better off with Texas and Oklahoma gone because our institutional fit as these 12 schools is way better.
1: You know, it really, uh, the kind of the prevailing thought that I had as I listened to that interview is the potential of the Big 12 that isn't really being talked about. That, okay, the Pac-12, I think the Pac-12 sticking their noses up and not caring might have ended up being a very, very big mistake for the Pac-12 because like you say there are schools in that conference i don't know that utah politically while they're more you know of a liberal thinking university than say byu i don't know that they are quite as liberal as say cal or stanford or washington right, right? i think if push come to shove utah is probably closer aligned with texas tech or with tcu or you know, one of these the Iowa State-type schools than they are with some of these liberal schools on the West Coast. And the opportunity, I think, is there for the Big 12. Hear me out here. We don't know what the TV revenue is. Sikkim 365 has reported, and they seem to know, but I mean, for all we know, they're making numbers up. But these are oddly specific numbers in their report. But they did a report today that they were kind of projecting what the Big 12 TV revenue looks like. And there's some things at play here that that, that we've heard that potentially the Big 12 could get a higher payout from the networks if they agree to let Texas and Oklahoma leave early. I mean, there's some funny things at play, but according to Sikkim 365, after all in, after all the tier one and two, tier one, two, three, media rights, the sugar bowl payout, basically everything excluding the college football playoff distribution that goes out to everybody and the individual bowls for all of the bowl eligible teams. This guy is estimating that the total annual payout with BYU, Cincinnati, UCF, and Houston would be forty two point four million dollars per school. So about a five million dollar drop from what the big 12 is today. Uh, a huge 300 percent increase for BYU, but forty two and a half million bucks. I don't know what the PAC 12 is at, but I don't think that they're at forty two and a half million bucks. I think that their their TV payout, I want to say, is hovering in the 30s somewhere. Like, they're the lowest by a pretty substantial margin of the P5 schools. And if that's true, and I don't know, none of us know what the hard numbers are going to actually look like, but even if it's just a couple of million dollars cheaper, or even if it's a couple of million dollars more, but just a couple of million dollars, what is the value of that two or three million bucks to a school like Utah or a school like Arizona State? Yeah, it's so a big it, 12 can. Did you look it up? Go
0: ahead. What, yep, what so it Pac-12? says this is from May 20, May 20th, 2021. Kyle Bonagura, the ESPN Pac-12 writer said nearly $403 million was distributed to 12 schools, averaging 33.6 million, which was an okay. increase of 387
1: million from the previous cycle. So let's just say, yeah, let's take that number. We'll add some inflation. Let's just say that they're going to be at 40 million bucks. If that number, if Arizona's payment is plus or minus two million bucks of what the new Big 12 is going to be, how valuable is that two million dollars? If this new Big 12 with BYU, Cincinnati, UCF, and Houston can prove that they can be self sustaining, that hey, we're going to survive, could the Big 12 become a player that they're going to go to the back, the Pac 12 one day and say, hey, we actually want to go to 16 teams. We can add Boise. We can add Memphis. They're already willing and ready to come in and they'll come in for free for the next couple of years. And we want to pull Arizona and Arizona state. I, I, I think that there is a possibility that something like that could happen. Now, pulling Arizona and Arizona state, that is not the same as pulling Texas or Oklahoma. But if you could pull some of those schools that are more closely aligned with you politically I think that the big 12 could become a big time player here. Right. And
0: it's, and everyone's talking about like the next deal, but nobody is talking about like, it's all very short-sighted. And yes, you know, if the sec decides to further expand, there's a good chance that they turn to Oklahoma state to try to pair them with Oklahoma. Right. And there's, you know, that's not a ridiculous thing to consider um uh, the and, and, and maybe that happens the game. right but it's if you it's really you have the sec a little drop to the big 10 and then honestly the big 12 pack 12 and acc are all the same mm-hmm. and so they are like you look at them across the board really it's like hey you have the big name like the big 12 is just like lack, lacking the big name now but you take clemson out of the acc the acc is horrible right and it's you take the you take you know the big name usc and oregon you take them out of the Pac-12, what brand is there that's driving that league? It's like, you know, it's really on a national level, are Utah, Washington, and UCLA really moving the needle for anybody, right? It's really, it's, you have one or two kind of bell cows that you're running the conference. And if you take those out, every, pretty much, if and we actually looked at this and talked about it before the show, if you look at the SP plus ratings, which the SEC is the best league and the average rating in the CFP area, era for those teams are just 13.1. Right. And then down. And the next one is like the big t- is a drop, right? So for the sec is 13.1. The big 10 is the second best conference in the CFP area. 8.3 is an average team wing. So that means on an, the average sec team on an average field would be a five point favorite over the average big 10 team on a neutral field. Right. Yeah. And then it's like after big 10, it's like big 12, 7.7 pac 12, 7.3. The ACC is seven point six, so it's really the SEC and then everybody else. And if you take the top two teams out of all of those leagues, it, they all all their rank scores drop by about two and a half points. And so yeah. it's really it's right a feel go- like that average of the SEC being like a f- almost five point favorite over the Big Ten. That is basically that is almost entirely buoyed up by Bama and I don't even know who's been the second most consistent second best team because there's been a lot of up and down years across there for whatever, but the, right. And it's, you know, Clemson has obviously the only reason Clemson, it was the 7.6 and not lower is because Clemson was been so dang good the entire CFP era. And so that's the, you know, and I think I agree with you is everyone's looking at kind of the short term of, you know, what does this look like now in this next TV deal in 2025, but like what's going to happen in 2035. Right, like it's you know when Stanford and UCLA can't fill their stadiums, is Utah going to want to stay in that league if there's if they can better align and get better kickoff times where they're not having to say oh well we need to kick off at 9 a.m. in the morning to try to get so that way anyone on the East Coast can watch our league because our options are 9 a.m. or 9 p.m. kickoffs and we're tired of that. Right, like Mm -hmm. there is a very real possibility that it's like and obviously this all depends on winning. Right. Like at this, if the big 12 goes out and flops and every major bowl game that they're in just gets destroyed and they are not winning good, like their non-conference games. Right. That causes problems. But if you consistently put teams in the top 25 and take care of business, then that's like winning fixes everything.
1: There's just so many potential angles that as you dig deeper and deeper into this, that people really aren't paying attention to. Uh, and this is us included, right? Like you have your Nope
0: Big Twelve shirt. Which did you throw that out yet, or like are you going to keep that as a souvenir? I guess, or, uh, I, guess I have to
1: keep it. Today but, I'm wearing my my one and only Washington shirt in honor of them losing to Montana. I'm wearing uh, a Washington shirt today. Cool.
0: Good job consoling, way to mourn with those who mourn. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, but, uh, but what, even, what is
1: interesting to think about is even like recruiting, right? Like there are fewer and fewer California high schools playing high school football. And as there are fewer and fewer California students who are there to stock the Pac-12 full of athletes, there's going to be more and more teams that want to go to Texas. Why wouldn't you want to align yourself with a conference that even without Texas A&M and Texas still has four teams in Texas, still has access to all sorts of recruiting grounds, still has access to Orlando and Florida and Cincinnati and the Ohio recruiting market, which is huge. Like The Big 12 has a ton of advantages that some of these other conferences don't have, the Pac-12 in particular. And if the Big 12 teams can win, and they have to win, and especially these four new teams, it's not just BYU, it's, it's everybody. They have to come in and impress right away and show that, hey, we weren't just additions to check a box. We were additions that are moving the needle. If they can do that, and it's a big if, if they can do that, I think the big 12 is positioned really uniquely uh, to do some really, really good things and kind of reestablish their brand. We, we kind of uh, just to kind of piggyback on what you're looking at from the SP plus rankings. We kind of talked about just the who's who of college football. And we came up with a, a list just quick before the show, very unscientific of 17 schools that are the who's who of college football. And some of them, We probably used a little looser of a definition with others uh, than than we did with others. But of those 17 schools,
0: and this is um, basically after the last decade, some of these, if if you were to look at the, who are the blue bloods, meaning perennially decade after decade at some point are at the top of the sport in that decade. Some of these tier two teams should be tier one, but they have been down for most of the last decade.
1: Yep. Absolutely our tier our tier 1 teams, Clemson, nobody's going to dispute. I don't think anybody would dispute any of these. Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Notre Dame, Oklahoma, Texas A&M. Those are your tier 1 teams. Maybe you moved Texas A&M to tier 2, but those are your they're right there. 5 of those 8 schools are in the SEC, the new SEC. Yep. Like, this, this idea that P5 conferences are good, top to bottom, it's a myth. The idea that the ACC is a great conference. The idea that even the other Big Ten. The other than the SEC. Other than the SEC. The SEC is phenomenal. But the idea that the Big Ten is some pristine conference is just false. They're Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, and kind of Wisconsin. That's it. That's what they are. And then everybody else has their ups and downs just like most of what the Big 12 is going to have. Tier 2, USC, Texas, Michigan, Penn State, Washington, LSU, Auburn, Miami, I guess, and Oregon. Right. And those and are
0: your... and that's like the Texas and you know we're saying like Texas, USC, Michigan, those should all be like in tier one, but they have been disappointments for the last decade. Right. Like They're they have years, not, they've, they've struggled. They've not performed in, I mean, that's obviously they've all of them have had a top 10 finish in the last decade, but it's like, they have not met their expectations of what My, are set and for Miami and yeah, Miami right there. With and them. so you, yeah. And like, you look at that though, and you say, you know, okay, I honestly, it might, there's some possibility that you get a lot more casual observance of the big 12 and we kind of we didn't paint because i mean we can go back and we were like uh we never said outright well you bought the nope shirt so you said outright but of i was uh, very anti you were very anti because it was very unsure of what was going to happen like there were so many unknowns and now as it's come through us okay well the tv mill money is going to be at least as that, good as what the PAC-12 is getting. The 18s, the are, voting, the 18s are voting unanimous, unanimously to stick together. They are kind of looking around the room saying like, actually, like maybe we can ride this out. There has been assurance that there, the P5 label is not going to go away and they're not going to get shafted in the next, like in the CFP payout system, right? They're still going to keep the sugar bowl bit. Like once all of those things fell into place, it's like, okay, now who are we adding, right? Like if you yeah. are adding, yep. well, we want to add rice and houston and utsa and north texas to try to like you know beef up all the texas thing and add a bunch of project schools or right like it's the schools that they added are not project schools right like byu is the only of the four schools added that has not been to a new year six game and right and there's you know it's schools that have competed at the highest level possible given the resources and their place in college football and then getting them over the fence right which is similar right like that's what Basically, they are, the schools that they're adding are doing, like, it's what Utah, the Pac-12 got by adding Utah, and the Big 12 got by adding TCU, right? It's schools that did the best that they could in the circumstances and within the power structure of college football at the time, and then getting them over that. Like, there's no room, like, sorry, you think Vegas is a big city? If UNLV was going to be good at football, they would be good within the Mountain West, right? Like they would find a way to sell themselves and win in the mountain West and say, oh man, dude, they're doing pretty good in the mountain West. Imagine if we dumped the P5 money on it, but it's not like, there's no projects involved here other than Kansas, right? And (laughs) and so, yeah, you look at these, you look at these and maybe there will be some more casual adversity, uh, like observance because it's a constant revolving thing, right? Like it's, everybody watches yes people watch the sec because a lot of sec fans but you know who alabama is going to be playing someone in like you know it's going to be alabama and georgia in the sec title game like i like everyone knows right now it's a foregone conclusion that's what's going to happen maybe florida upsets georgia and sneaks in that's like that's it right but that's it's it. going to be in the big 12 it's probably you know like you could have a lot of variety in those conference championship games and that is appealing to a certain segment of people
1: It's going to be really interesting, and and this idea, right, the myth about all P5 conferences being good. We just rattled off 17 teams. Take away those 17 teams. Just pretend they don't exist. Most P5 schools are Northwestern. Most of them are similar to Washington State, are similar to uh, Virginia. Right? Like Virginia, you're, you're not okay, – ignore the Bronco connection, but you're not packing Lavelle Edwards Stadium to watch, say, North Carolina State. Like you're not buying your season tickets with the sole intention of catching that NC State game. You're just not, right? Like you're not. You're not waking up, can't sleep, so excited on a Friday night because you get to go and watch BYU take on Georgia Tech on Saturday. You're not. And that is what the bulk of PE 5 schools are. The difference, I think, with what is in the Big 12 is that the potential is there. The, the, The recruiting grounds in Texas run deep. Everybody knows that. They add Florida. That's great. They add Ohio. That's huge. People don't realize how good high school football is in Ohio. There's a reason that Ohio State and Michigan are as good as they are, and it's not because they're pulling 20 kids a class out of Florida and Texas. It's because of Ohio. It's really good football. And BYU now has a conference that enables them to get into some of those markets. I am a little bit concerned for BYU more than the other three new additions because they have not traditionally recruited Texas very hard. They go and they get a guy or two, but they don't recruit it very hard. BYU recruits Arizona pretty hard, California really hard, Hawaii really hard, and the state of Utah really hard. Uh, In this new Big 12, none of those help BYU with the exception of their home state. They're not going to play in California very often. They're never going to play in Hawaii. So BYU will have to rely on tradition to pull those traditional recruiting or recruits out of those recruiting hotbeds and work like mad to establish new ones in the state of Texas. Now is the time. Well, I guess when, whether it's 2023 or whatever it is, whenever BYU officially moves into Texas, you're really going to wish you had Eric Mateos on on, on that staff. You're really going to wish that you had Jeff Grimes on that staff. And you probably should go and find Guy Holiday or somebody who can help build those inroads in Texas. That's my only real concern about BYU and the Big 12 right now.
0: And that's, I mean... Margin Hooks we love you keep yeah. keep it coming right like it's You know I
1: I I talked to Margin I, I he was one of the first people I reached out to about after after it looked like it was going to happen I sent a text to Margin just saying hey man like and he brought up a really good point but I said hey man like what's going to happen like is BYU going to suddenly be in Texas a lot and he's like yeah you know I think that there's going to be guys who come from Texas I think BYU will be able to get a few of those guys but the guys who are going to come to BYU still have to fit BYU, and BYU is still unique. And so maybe it's different, you know. Maybe BYU just gets more LDS kids that were going to schools like UCLA. Like maybe they don't let, uh, you know, Harrison Taggart looks like he's going to end up at UCLA. Maybe he doesn't end up at UCLA in the future, right? Maybe that's maybe that's the difference.
0: And you could go through, and if you if you just made a class purely of you know, the bulk of those LDS kids, it in you know, the kids that are coming out of the West, Side, like it would be one of the probably the best highest ranked class that BYU oh, has yeah. ever had. Right. Like oh, it's yeah. even if you can create that new the what you've termed it the other in state class, right? Is yeah. kind of the term you've used before of like looking at the LDS big board as opposed to just the you know Utah Idaho player big yep. board. The You can clean up on those kids that are, you know, those things that are missing and going elsewhere. You can like makes a difference. It makes a huge difference. Because the issue is especially been depth, right? Like this, our starters have always been able to run with everybody. And it's the depth that really is what sets it apart. And that's really why you, you know, you have to be on your best thing. And this is a good transition to kind of wrap up this big drill thing and kind of actually get towards the preview of the game, right? And it's, you know it's just, we talked about this beginning, like flat out Utah is a more talented team, right? Like you have to be on your A game. You cannot make mistakes in the same way. It's just, you know, even though like we played Tennessee in 2019, we beat them on a hail Mary with a big, ol- with a field goal and going into double overtime. And we had to do that because even though they weren't a great team, they just, they had better players and that's the way it is right now in the rivalry. And, but that's, doesn't mean it's, you know, Oh, and it's, you cannot overcome it. It doesn't mean right. Like that. It's in some type of insurmountable gap, right? It's just, you have to play better and it's depth and depth is the biggest thing, because if you have depth in your program and not only people only think about depth as a, Oh, if some guy gets hurt, then you have someone to step up behind him. Right. Like in 2018, uh, when we, don't really talk about that, but we had to have, you know, when Matt Criddle, who's a safety gets thrown in at linebacker, outside linebacker, because there's nobody else, right. That's when, you know, that's a problem and that's a depth issue, but the, that's what, when we talk about depth, that's what people think of. But also if you have depth, it's your starters are going against better players in practice, right? Like if you're like the, the reason Alabama and Ohio state are so consistently good is because their starters, they're kind of, they're at this point now, at the point now it's like where there's starters and backups like Alabama second string, if they went out and played just the Alabama twos and went out and played a full schedule on their own, they'd be a top 25 team. And so if you're going against that every single day in practice, well, no wonder you dominate everyone you play. And so that's, you know, when that comes up, you know, that happens. And so let's talk, let's talk about the game on Saturday and, um, what we think is going to happen. You have some notes about the personnel. you have done more research on the Utah personnel. So I will let well, you run with I this because I don't watch their games, but you do.
1: If we're being, yeah, I mean, that's really what it is. If we're being fair, I do watch a lot of Utah. I enjoy watching them play um, because I feel like we learn a lot. There's a lot of similarities between what Utah does and what BYU does now. And so it's fun to watch them play and just take off the, the helmet decal and just watch football. I enjoy doing that, but, that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about BYU ending the streak. Uh, in order to do so, it's going to be tough. They're going to have to score points, but defense is where it starts. If BYU could score 24 points, they better hope that the defense is that that's enough to win because I don't think BYU' is going to be able to score more than 24 points. If things go exceptionally well, they have scored 24 points this week. Devin Lloyd is a first-round linebacker. He is Utah's Fred Warner. Uh, People don't like that comparison because of what Fred Warner is now, but Fred Warner in 2017 at BYU, that is who Devin Lloyd is today, period. He is going to be very, very, very good. He will be, if not a first, a second-round draft pick. Uh, Watch out for Devin Lloyd. He's going to be everywhere. Mika Tafua, what could have been? uh, The one recruit that I can think of in my mind that committed – to BYU solely because of of Bronco and then would not even entertain the idea of coming to BYU without Bronco there were a lot of guys who loved Bronco but Mika Tafua is maybe the most extreme example of he was there to play for Bronco Mendenhall after Bronco left and Kalani took over BYU didn't really try for Mika Tafua and Mika Tafua didn't give BYU the time of day he was considering Utah and USC when he came home picked Utah he's a stud Clark Phillips on the outside is going to be the best corner that BYU faces this year, period, point blank. He's very, very good. This defense has studs all over, but they're not unbeatable. I don't think they're as stout up front as they have been in the years past. Mika Tafua is
0: legit. Mika Tafua is legit, but Mika Tafua would be the second or third guy and the, or maybe even the third or fourth best guy in previous years. Right. Like in it was, you years, know, cause yeah, they've had so. their past, they've been spoiled in having, you know, where they're looking at years where it's like, Oh, they had, you know, they ran a four man front and they put all four guys in the league. Right. And so yeah. it, it's yep. that, but it is Mika Tafua is very good. And then there's a lot of unproven talent. And so they can get there caught off is. guard. They can make some mistakes. You just have to capitalize on it.
1: The inside. And this is, this is going to be tricky and I'm interested to see how BYU does this the inside of of utah's defensive line there's talent there but it's a lot of young talent it's howard pututai and uh vianne mawala who are going to play inside they're going to be the starters and neither one of those are you know john pennacini and lucky fotu like neither one of those guys are. They could or Star
0: Latulale pushing 240 two hundred and forty pound bit Blair Tushaus around.
1: Right. I mean anybody, Low Latulale or whatever the kid's name was that came from Woods. I mean, there's a hundred of them. They're not quite there. I think they could be there down the road. I think Putitao is going to be one of the better ones, but right now they're not there. And what made Utah so scary all of those years? is behind Star Lutilele was just another NFL DT and then another NFL DT, right? Like they had, they would go deep. They, I, I, why can't I remember the kid's name that uh, came from Woods Cross, played with to Lutilele, also was drafted. Hmm. But I can't remember his name. Hunter Dimmick? No, Dimmick played on the outside. This is a Polynesian kid. I can't remember his name right Oh, the played totally in the middle. Keeping me. And he had a little brother that I think ended up signing there in the last couple classes or two. Uh, but at any rate they had three deep of just legitimate NFL defensive tackles. This year, guys, Devin Kafusi is 300 pounds and playing backup. He's the backup, I think, nose tackle right now at Utah. And Devin Kafusi, he still is who he is. I think he's improved, you know, like we're just with more reps and time, and that's great. But he is who he is like he isn't going to suddenly just because he's putting on a red helmet instead of a a blue helmet suddenly be an NFL defensive tackle. He's playing a new position. He's playing at a weight that he's never been anywhere near at until this year. Uh, That's their backup. So even if Pututai and Moala, Pututau and Moala are great, absolutely phenomenal behind them, there's a drop off. And that's where Utah hasn't had that. Now, what's going to be interesting is BYU runs a zone, a wide zone running scheme. They like to run off the tackles. Tyler Algier does not run very regularly up the middle. But in this game, he might have to run up the middle a little bit more. Uh, I don't see a scenario Where Clark Phillips is great. Travis Broughton on the other side is really, really good. Brandon McKinney is a transfer from Washington who's playing safety at Utah this year. He's very good. I don't see BYU getting too many deep balls, but I do see BYU being able to attack the linebackers at Utah. I see a lot of mesh routes. I see a lot of slants. I see a lot of quick, quick Jaron Hall passes. That can be effective. Now, you're right. Utah has more talent. BYU is going to have to execute really, really well to win this game. The, the, the line is currently uh, Utah is a seven-point favorite. And that is probably where it should be. Utah is probably going to win this game eight out of ten times. And so far, what has happened over the last decade is those statistics have rung true. But it isn't like there's not a path for BYU to win. There's, There's been a path in every this. game. That's why even every game.
0: with the talent disparity, right, it's BYU has been close in seven of the nine games.
1: Yeah, every single, almost every single game. And so all of that said, BYU just has to execute well. I think they have to score 24 points. On the other side of the ball, uh, Charlie Brewer can play. Like, I don't think that Charlie Brewer is Jim McMahon, who, side note, I did pay out of my own pocket and i'm not going to tell you how much it costs but if somebody wants to go look it up they can find out i hope he gets it done by saturday i did it a couple of days ago i did pay jim mcmahon to do a cameo just letting cougar nation know and reminding us that we do still have the ability to beat the shit out of utah that's awesome and i and so i i hope that message makes it by saturday
0: I've heard another rumor that someone also is apparently trying to, cause they did advertise that you can buy like it to do a thing on the video, the new video boards. Uh uh-huh. Um, and I don't know how much they're <laughs> charging, but someone is doing that to try to get urban doing a cameo to have urban Meyer say <laughs> to have urban Meyer in, Say like go cougars or something, and then <laughs> paying and then turning that over to BYU and saying, Hey, please play this. I this is what oh, I want. That's,
1: that's incredible. Uh, I, I hope that happens. I hope that Jim McMahon comes through first. I think that's more likely because he is, and I do think this is cool on Jim McMahon's cameo. Like they get to fill out their little bio. His two first lines before Chicago Bears, before Super Bowl, is former BYU quarterback and in the BYU ring of honor, which I thought was cool. Like he didn't have to do that's that, awesome. but I thought that's cool that he put that first. I'm hopeful that he gets back before Saturday. I, I spent a bunch of money on it. I couldn't spring for the additional hundred bucks to get the 24 hour turnaround time, but I might have to send an email to cameo to relay to Jim if it isn't here by like Friday. But anyway, that's just a, a beacon of hope that might be on the horizon for us. And now I can't even remember what we were talking about. So Charlie, Brewer is not, I just want that to happen.
0: I I I just, I need this.
1: Charlie Brewer is not Jim McMahon, but he's good. He can move that offense. He's really good within that offense. And that's, I don't think he's going to be some, you know, first round NFL draft pick that leads an NFL franchise back to the Super bowl. But I do think he's going to be very good within that Utah offense. Tavion Thomas, forget. T.J. Pledger from Oklahoma and Chris Curry from LSU. I know that those were the big names that got all the hype of big running backs that Utah added. Tavion Thomas, the junior college transfer and the Cincinnati, our, our conference mate, Cincinnati bounce back. He's the man and he's big. He's built a lot like Tyler Algier, but he's 6'2". He's probably a step slower than Algier, but a little bit bulkier than Algier, which is saying a lot because Algier's is a big bowling ball of a guy. He's tough to bring down like BYU's tackling performance against Arizona. Uh, if they do it like that, if that's what, if that's the tackling performance that shows up against Utah, Tavion Thomas is going to go for 200 yards. He's tough to bring down. They've got to wrap up and Utah's tight ends. As much as we love Mason wake and the elk and, and Dallin Holker, I really like Utah's trio of tight ends of Brant Keithy and Cole Fotheringham and Dalton Kincaid. They're very, very good. Uh, If not better, equally as good as BYU's trio of tight ends. And certainly more proven than BYU's trio of tight ends. So this offense is good. BYU's going to have to tackle well. They're going to have to avoid the big play, but they can't just concede death by a thousand paper cuts. The difference between a team like USC and a team like Utah is when you make USC run the ball and and accept three or four yards at a time, it makes them uncomfortable and mistakes happen. Utah's totally content. If you're going to give them four yards a play and you're going to just let them run 15-yard drives and they can just do simple dives, 12 plays a drive, they're, they're going to take that. They're not going to care. Kyle Whittingham does not care if he wins this game by 75 points or one point.
0: As long as as it's a win.
1: As long as it's a win, he does not care. So BYU is going to have to force the action a little bit. They can't sit in there. They have to prevent the big play because if if they go down fast, Utah's defense is too good to score a lot of points on. The over-under in this game is like 48. Nobody's expecting a a lot of points. And, I mean, that's really what it comes down to. So I, I think BYU can win. I don't think I'm picking them to win but I think BYU can win I speaking of this game we have uh I don't know if this is breaking news but I'm about to publish it on Cougar Sports Insider right now our guy Jake Welch our guy Jake Welch somehow got his hands on an email a memo that was sent out to ESPN employees and here it is it says quote with Utah and BYU play this week on ESPN. The term holy war is one we should avoid. The schools actively don't like it, and it's an outdated and too, and in parentheses, too many, purgative term. Please avoid it in language, topic bars, etc. I did not know that the schools did not like the term holy war. That, well, I, uh, I mean, I, it doesn't surprise me, but I've it, never seen like a formal "Hey, please don't call it that."
0: I uh, I haven't I haven't seen it either, but I mean, I guess so, maybe. So there you go. Um, the so, that is weird. So we do need to go grab uh as. I agree with you, obviously. On this game, there's and you've done most of the talking this episode because we've mostly talked about recruiting and Utah, and that's kind of those are that's your area of expertise. <laughs> and um, we do have, a, as you know, we do have a business account uh, for this operation. And uh, just so to be completely above board, um, we are going to start putting our money where our mouth is on our picks, and we. Uh, because sports gambling will be legal in Arizona starting tomorrow. So I will not have to use an offshore site in cryptocurrency. Jealous. Starting at midnight tonight. And um, so also part of this. uh, So I'm currently, as I started going through the process, as we're talking here of going through and every single book that is offering a sign up promo or an initial sign on bet. I am taking that promo, whatever we have to deposit to deposit it and betting it all on utah to win and so if byu loses this game then we will have a lot of promo money to throw around because i think if you i saw a thing is if you sign up for all of them you can get like two granted free bets basically if you go across every because like DraftKings is doing stuff. FanDuel's doing stuff. Barstool Sportsbook is doing stuff. The Score Book is doing stuff. Like Caesars <laughs> is doing stuff. Everybody is doing like somewhere between $100 and 250 dollars is like a si- sign up and deposit twenty bucks and you get something. So just if you look at our bank account and notice those things, you go. But our picks last week, you had a rough week. You went. I'd I did. had. I had. I'm going to blame. Three I'm going to blame seven. week one. You want, Yeah, week one. Yeah, so we were close on UCF. It was uh they ended up winning. If they got had they gotten that two-point conversion instead of Dylan Gabriel getting knocked the F out, um, mm-hmm. that one would have hit. Um, I had K State, you uh you were very wrong on that one. Oregon <laughs> you. and Fresno, Doctor's wrong, wrong. <laughs> very wrong, and yes, and Houston, we both got wrong I was kind of, I was drinking the UTSA Kool-Aid you kind of talked me out of it I thought I was drinking a little bit too much of it and turns out that not only is UTSA pretty halfway decent but Nebraska is really really bad because UTSA straight up beat Illinois which should never happen um the LSU UCLA game was a shock to anybody with a pulse and then we both get Nevada so we it was not too terrible um, but let's go ahead and get um do, do let's get our picks down for this week and um let me pull up spread here okay our conference mate kansas future conference mate is a 25 and a half point road underdog at the coastal carolina chanticleers <laughs> that's
1: so bad I know. um 25 and a half yes oh my word they they rushed the field after beating south dakota like lawrence man they're doing some weird things 25 and a half is a ton and that 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 coastal offense man this one's tough because i think the answer is is supposed to be coastal but that's just that's that's six scores like that's a that's a big deal. Four scores. Well, yeah. I was thinking, you know. A lot of field goals. But yeah, <laughs> the
0: <laughs> I, I think I'm going with this because 20, I don't like 25 and a half. I find that there's a lot of value. Like on big bets like that, I feel like they're unlikely to hit just because it's like, even if it's like if Coastal's up by 24, they're just going to chew the clock, right? Like it's there's no incentive to right. put the pedal to the metal and get over that right unless it's like a big name right like it's if it's a huge name and it's like oh how the heck did we end up in this position yeah but it's like everyone expects you to be Kansas and I think honestly like Lance Leipold is a good coach and I think he could actually make Kansas halfway decent in a couple years so I I yeah I'm going with Kansas on this one just because 26 or 25 and a half is a ton
1: yeah I think so too. I'm I'm going Kansas. Um, wow, betting on Kansas. Never thought you'd do that. What a
0: you? time to be live. Okay, here about <laughs> this one. Number three, Ohio State is a 14 and a half point favorite at home against number 12,
1: Oregon. Um Oregon didn't look great against Fresno, but I think they may have been overlooking Fresno a little bit. And Fresno is better than I gave them credit for. But I do think the horseshoe. Is a very, very tough place to play. And I think that Ohio State is that much better than just about anybody in the country. So I think I'm going Ohio State here.
0: I agree. Um, I I don't think, I think it'll be like a 17. They won't win by three touchdowns, but I think they won by like 17 or 18, like some, some score like that. But I could see it being more um, than that. Uh, other, let's see what, there's another game I wanted to hit on. Ooh. oh air force and navy this is this is a hard one because it's you never know what you're getting uh air force is a six point favorite on the road at um at navy
1: uh i like uh i'm going i'm rolling with the kenny Niamatololos on this one they they just don't lose to the academies very often
0: did you watch navy last week they look like they start
1: tackling again and so well, I'm, I'm going with air
0: force because i don't i think the uh I think times are slipping there for president Neomatalolo.
1: He's stretched thin. Stake president, football coach. It's tough. But I'm I'm trusting him. I'm gonna roll with the Neo the Neomatalolos. Right,
0: and then we do have a top ten matchup here, Iowa and Iowa State. And Dude, it, my it, Hawks. Always my hawks. It is Iowa's a four and a half point favorite.
1: Uh, I think that Brock Purdy. Oh, sorry, sorry, back... four and
0: four and a half point underdog, Iowa State. Oh my gosh, my favorite.
1: Well, that definitely, I would have taken Iowa, Iowa to cover. I think Iowa wins this game by a touchdown, at least. Like I, I, I think Brock Purdy comes back down to earth a little bit. This is the same guy, like the same Iowa State team that lost to UL Lafayette last year, and then they ran through a pretty soft Big Twelve schedule. And I think that they're riding a lot of that hype and that they probably don't deserve it. And Iowa just punched Indiana in the mouth. Iowa looked great. So go hawks. The, especially with the points. I yeah,
0: I think Iowa, I would take Iowa straight up in this game. Um yeah. And see well, next one is Arizona. Is a two and a half point favorite at home against San Diego State. This game actually has moved. And so I know a lot of people, mm-hmm. this is actually a good way of looking at last game when a lot of people were like, oh, Arizona sucks. We played level. And then, you know, some people were like, oh, you're just trying to spin it that Arizona's way better. Like, they're still suck. And they've played, you know, they've lost 13 straight games, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Well, this game opened at San Diego State as a one point favorite on the road and has moved three and a half points now in the Wildcats' favor. So, The people with smart money, like a lot of people thought Arizona looked a lot better than what people expected them to look like
1: last week. Uh, Yeah, I agree. And for that reason, I'm taking Arizona. I'm a believer. I I have been singing the Jed Fish song for a while. I I don't think he's going to be able to turn it around and get them back to a bowl this year, but they're going to upset some teams in the Pac-12. I have zero doubt of that. They are better and more well-coached, then maybe that's it. They've always recruited at a reasonably okay level, but Kevin Sumlin was a mess. Jed Fish has got some discipline back in that program, and I think that they are going to be much better than people give them credit for, myself included. I did not think he'd be able to turn it around this quickly.
0: No, and that was the one thing that it's it was very, you could tell on the sideline was that the players were hungry and out there ready to play, and that, that goes a long way. Um, last mm-hmm. pick we have. Um, this is kind of one more intriguing one. App State is a nine-point road dog to in Coral Gables against Miami. Nine Miami. points. Miami, Miami got got destroyed got, by Alabama, but App yeah. State blew out ECU. But also, one's in the Sun Belt and the other is Miami.
1: I'm not a believer in Miami. Uh, I'm going App. Give me app of the points. I think
0: I also, I mean, Navy dude. we're like, I'm going to put all these in tomorrow because we have, uh, we agree on all, but one. Yep. Yeah, we agreed on all, but one, but I think if this was like Miami six and a half, I would take it. Right. But it's, I could see Miami winning by a touchdown, but I think like, I don't see Miami winning by 10 points. Right. Like it's, that it's flirting with that line where nine just seems like a lot for this game because app state is the kind of program that gets hyped for these big games. Like it gets big name teams and comes in with that chip on their shoulder of nobody believes in us. Cause we're from little old Boone, North Carolina, and we're oh, going to show yeah. them, you know, what happens, you know, with
1: Mountaineer football.
0: And I think app state, I don't think App State will pull this off, but I think app state, it'll be a single digit game.
1: I agree. And I also, All of that, I agree about App, and I also don't think Miami is very good. I mean, they're ranked, but I don't know that they should be. Like, they didn't even look... I mean, I I get it, it's Alabama, but they didn't even look competitive. Right. I mean, they looked like what you would expect BYU to look like, playing Alabama. And people want to crap on BYU right now, and I, I think that BYU would perform close to what Miami did against Alabama the uh, I don't there
0: was a lot of love and I remember what Miami did last season but they they
1: had a good run early but I think they trickled off late if I remember right Manny Diaz people believe in him I don't know why
0: yeah I don't I don't get it but those are our picks today so we've got Kansas Ohio State split on Navy and Air Force Iowa Zona App State Jeff, it's been a good episode. This has been a long episode. We had a lot to cover. I'm I'm excited for Saturday. I really hope that, uh, brother McMahon comes through for us. I do too. And it feels like it could have Von
1: Kimball type vibes.
0: It, it, I'm getting Von Kimball vibes from that. And I think we, I'm excited for that. Um, Friday is Friday is going to be a big day. Friday is probably Friday is going to be the biggest day in the history of the BYU athletic department. And that's saying something. And so mm-hmm. it is an exciting, exciting time to be a Cougar fan. If you are not part of the Cougar club, go donate. If you are a Cougar club fan member, consider upgrading your membership. Uh, if you have a lot of money to throw around, Taught, reach out to Isaac Wood about becoming a legacy member and what that'll do for you. And, you know, just let's, you know, there's a lot of things and it's, we're going into a new, whole new world and we need the facilities and everything to compete. And so that money's got to come from somewhere. So if you can afford it, do it. And until Saturday, and, Jeff. And
1: and even if you can't afford it, subscribe to give them hell, Brigham.
0: Yes. If you can't at least, at least subscribe to the free newsletter and until Saturday, Jeff, give them hell, give them hell.